Bayfields Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we conclude our series, Hunger Games. Today, Dave Sauer, our pastor to students, looks at our hunger and thirst and asks, what do you want to be filled up with? We're reminded with a nudge that having all our stuff can often mean alone with self and our stuff. Listen as Dave gives us some pointers on dealing with having enough and how to think beyond ourselves. Well, happy Thanksgiving, Bay Hills. You guys have a good Thanksgiving? You guys all filled up? Yeah, you got it all done. Go Seahawks. Um, did I, wait, did I just say that in church? I'm sorry, it slipped out. Uh, my wife tried to get me to wear my Seahawks jersey to church today, and I said, no, I want to... I want to go home today after church. Um, <laughs> and I want people to actually listen. You know, if I wore that, you might just start throwing things at me. That might happen anyway, but that's okay. Well, hey, my name is Dave Sauer, and I'm the student pastor here at Bay Hills, for those of you that don't know me. And if you're new here today, we just are so thankful you're part, part of what we're doing here. Uh, we hope today uh, fills you up. We really do. We hope you're filled up when you leave here today and uh, maybe even have more questions than you came in with. Um, those of you that haven't haven't been around for the last few weeks, Dave's been going through a series series called Hunger Games, and he's really going through the Beatitude. It's Matthew chapter five, verse six, and it says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled or filled up." Now, I, I, how many of you guys did Black Friday? Any Black Friday fans here, or Gray Thursday, or whatever they're calling that day? Right? No, you can. Oh, I, come on, admit it. Admit it. I saw some of you in line at Walmart. So there we go. See in the back. There you admit it, right? Um, well, you know, we, we spend so much time. We're so hungry to fill ourselves up with stuff. And Black Friday comes along. We're so excited. We pull open the ads and we're looking for the best deal on that, on that big screen TV or that new video game system. I know me. I was like, Oh, I'm all over that, you know, and, and I was like, Oh my goodness. And of course, you know, we, we aren't going to get a new TV or spend that kind of money on things, but I was like dreaming. It was good. And, and, but I, what I realized is that I see these ladies and these men standing in line and they have their carts full of stuff and they're standing in line and there's not a single smile on any of their faces. It's like you're so happy to get there and get your stuff, but you're not very happy about it, are you? It was like, okay. And then it made, but it made me think, this might be the only opportunity all year for the Raiders to score, right? Oh, no, wait. I think he gets tripped up by the old lady in the back. Oh, there he goes. Sorry. Didn't quite get there. Darn. Any Army, Navy football fans in here? Any? We have, we have one over here in Navy. Any Navy, Army? Navy, Army? Okay, we have, you know, I, I, just, I, just wrote, I just vote for U.S. That's the way I'm, I'm guaranteed to win, right? Like, go U.S.! Um, I, and I put these, like, why is he putting that slide up? I actually put it up for a reason. The reason Black Friday is called Black Friday is because of the Army-Navy game. Did you guys know that? The Army-Navy game started back, you know, decades and decades and decades and hundreds or a hundred years ago plus, but it's played in Philadelphia the Saturday after Thanksgiving, typically. And uh, back in the 60s, the police officers and the bus drivers and the taxicab drivers were all getting frustrated because on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, they couldn't get around in town at all because so many people were coming to town 
to go to the game. And it really doubled the, po- well, double the population, but it added the population in Philadelphia. So all of these people were doing their shopping on Friday, the people that were there for the game and the people that lived there. And there was basically a blackout in town. You couldn't get anywhere in Philadelphia. So the police, the bus drivers, and the taxi cab drivers called it Black Friday. And in the 1970s, when the Army-Navy game actually meant something in the NCAA standings, um, they, they, just, they did a national article. And in that article, they mentioned the Black Friday phenom that was happening in Philadelphia. And that kind of stuck with retailers. Some advertiser got it and they said, let's call it Black Friday. And so it spread throughout the United States. And by the 80s, we have what we know as today, Black Friday. That's where Black Friday came from. I do want to say this, Black Friday, this weekend, is $59 billion of revenue for retailers. It's the largest shopping weekend of the year. It represents almost 40% of the revenue for major retailers. This weekend, it's crazy what happens. I mean, imagine you're, you're a retailer and, and most of you, you know, you're waiting for this weekend to make a profit because this is where the profit is made for most of the major retailers in this country. We are consumers. So I kind of had a little fun with the, with the beatitude, the happy are, the, the hunger. I, I kind of changed it. Happy are those, I know it's kind of gross, isn't it? Happy are those who stuff themselves on Thanksgiving, then go out that evening and purchase things they don't really need because it's on sale for a really good price. We get happy with the stuff we have. But Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, told a parable in Luke chapter 12. And that, we're here to actually go through the Bible a little bit. So if you have your Bible in front of you, open it to Luke chapter 12. We're going to start in, uh, in verse 13. Start in verse 13. And it'll be up on the screens now. I just want to preface this. This is, this is a version, the message which I think you guys might have NIV or an NASB or something like that, but this is the message version. I just felt like it was a little more relevant for today. Someone out of the crowd said, Teacher, order my brothers to give me a fair share of their, my inheritance. He replied, Mister, what makes you think it's any of my business to be judged or the mediator of you? Speaking to the people, he went on to say, Take care, protect yourselves against the least bit of greed. Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. And verse 16 is where the parable really starts. Then he told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself, what can I do? My barn isn't big enough for the harvest. Then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll clear, I'll, some child, oh, there we go. I can't read that part. Um, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll stay, say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made. And can, re- and can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. And verse 20 says, Just then God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die and your barn full of goods. Well, who gets it? See, the world tells us that we need to seek out stuff. The world tells us we need to fill ourselves up with stuff. The world says we need to go to Black Friday and empty our bank accounts and have a bunch of Christmas presents under a Christmas tree and have a bunch of stuff. And that's what the world tells us. But I want to point out what Jesus is saying in this parable. So let's go to this seek out stuff. Let's go to this back to this parable. It says, then he told them the story, the farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. He talked to himself. What can I do? My barn isn't big enough 
I'll do it. I'll tear my barn down. I'll build a bigger one. I'll gather in my grains. I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. You've got it made. Now you can retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. See, it all, it became all about me. It became all about my, it became all about myself. It's like, remember, remember back in the day when Bo Jackson would say, Bo knows, Bo knows. It's like Dave knows. Well, Dave knows he can build himself a barn. Dave knows it's all about him. Dave knows that he can do this and he can do that. It's all about myself. See, the world wants us to fill ourselves up with stuff. And my caution based on this parable would be seeking out stuff equals alone with self. Seeking out stuff equals alone with self. That if we, if we spend our time seeking out all of this stuff and trying to fill ourselves up with stuff, stuffing with goods, we'll be empty. But Jesus said, In Matthew 6, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given unto you as well. We need to seek first God. We need to seek first him and his righteousness. And then we'll be filled. Then we'll be actually stuffed. Jesus says, seek God so that we can be stuffed. Seek him so that we can be stuffed. Don't our lives feel full, even content, complete when we seek God? When we're chasing after God, when we're, when we're volunteering for something or when, you know, when we are, are studying our Bibles, don't we just feel really filled up? But isn't it interesting when you kind of feel that, when you're chasing after God and you feel filled up, you still have that desire to go after more. I just got a new program. I got the same program Pastor Dave talked about last week for my computer. And, and I was on it the other day, the other day, which turned into the other night. Cause I, I started looking at it about seven o'clock in the evening and about 1130, I realized it was 1130 and it was time for me to go to bed. I was just studying God's word for four and a half hours and I just got sucked into it. I literally just got sucked in. It just drew me in and I just couldn't get away. I was just studying all oh, that word and this phrase and this text. And it just, I just kept going and going and going. And I wanted to go more. I went to bed and I was thinking about tomorrow. Oh, I can't wait till tomorrow because I can get up and I'll get up early and I'll get on the program and I'll start studying God's word more and I'll just go and I'll just get deeper and deeper. And I, and I was full, but I wasn't filled. I was still hungry for more. Don't we want to be hungry for more? Paul says it this way. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in the plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.12. We can do all things. We can be content in Christ. We can be content chasing after God. We can be filled up chasing after him rather than chasing after the stuff that the world wants us and tells us we need to have. There's a guy named Howard Hughes, or was a guy named Howard Hughes. Anybody heard of Howard Hughes? Billionaire philanthropist. Um, his cool story about Howard Hughes, his parents uh, were very successful. His dad invented the dual cone drill bit. Go figure, right? No, a drill bit. Well, what he did this, with his drill bit is he leased it to oil companies. Oil companies would drill down really deep for oil, and they would, you know, make money. Well, he didn't sell it to him; He leased it to him. And so every month, Howard Hughes' dad would get a check-in for all these drill bits that he had out there leased. 
$100 here, $80 there, $1,000 there. I mean, just month after month after month, he created a revenue stream. Well, his dad passed away. Howard Hughes was, a, was in his late teens. He got his inheritance. At 19, Howard Hughes moved to Hollywood. He was like, I need, I need some power. I need some, some fame. I need some more fortune. So he started making movies. He, made, he was an Academy Award-winning movie maker. Howard Hughes was. Pretty phenomenal. And then he, he decided in the 1940s he was going to get involved, and he got really involved in, in, in making airplanes. And he, and he was trying to, you know, have his part, make his part, make his name in the war effort. Again, more power, more authority. So he made this huge airplane called the Spruce Goose. Now, he never sold any of them, but we know the story. He, he, you know, he, he got the airplane to fly. Howard Hughes was a billionaire before we knew what billionaires were, right? And here's Howard Hughes in his 70s. Well, he died at 71, so he's in his 60s and 70s. But he was alone in a hotel room when he died. For about 10 years, Howard Hughes had been in a hotel room and living there. In fact, they tried to kick him out at one point and they said, they said, Howard, we need you to leave because you're kind of stinking up the place. And he said, no, 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 you're not making me leave. I'm buying your hotel. And so he bought that hotel and he bought about 10 others so he could have a place to always stay away from people. You see, Howard Hughes didn't want anything to happen to his fortune. He didn't want a germ to, to get on him. He didn't want people to try to steal his money. He didn't want anything to happen to him. And so he stayed in a hotel room, isolated, secluded from the world, and he died. Now, the fascinating thing about when they found him, his body was covered from head to toe in hair. It was all scraggly and scruffy. His fingernails looked like claws. They had to do a thumbprint, a fingerprint analysis just to identify his body when they found him. Howard Hughes died alone a billionaire. He was chasing after stuff. He was chasing after money. He was chasing after power. He wanted supremacy. He wanted it all. The world says we need to try to satisfy ourselves with supremacy. We need to try to satisfy ourselves with power. You know, I was I, when I read that about Howard Hughes, and thank you, Brigitte, if she's in here, Brigitte gave me that article. And when I read that about Howard Hughes, I found it interesting. It reminded me of a story in the Bible. You guys are probably thinking of the same story I am. Is the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. Right? King Nebuchadnezzar, here he was. Here's this, here's this king. He had all the world in front of him. And he, and he had these guys, you know, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and all these cool guys in his life that were speaking truth in, into his life. But King Nebuchadnezzar was a dreamer, wasn't he? Like a real dreamer. He had real dreams. And King Nebuchadnezzar one time had a dream. And if you look in your Bible, it's in Daniel chapter 4, and it explains this. But he had this dream of this big tree growing up. And it was so big that you could see it throughout the entire world. And this huge, ginormous tree. And, and he, called his, he called his magicians in, and he called his wise men in. And no, nobody could, could analyze the dream. Nobody could tell him what the dream. Nobody could interpret it. And so who does he go to? Daniel. He goes to Daniel. He calls, he goes, he goes, Belteshazzar. That was Daniel's name that he had given him. Now he gave him the name Belteshazzar because he was King Nebuchadnezzar. He worshiped a God named Bel, who was a Babylonian God and Belteshazzar, Belteshazzar, say that 10 times fast. Belteshazzar was, he looked at Daniel as a God role. Daniel had that much power in King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. 
And this tree grows up and, 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 and this, and this, you know, this holy majesty person's coming down and he's going to cut the tree down. And he, King Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what, which one of my enemies is going to rise up against me and take me out. And Daniel says, no, 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 that's not for your enemies. That's for you. You have all this power. You have all this great wealth. You have all of this supremacy in your kingdom. And God is going to take you out. And God is going to make you eat grass for seven seasons. God is going to turn you into an animal. What are you talking about, Daniel? Yeah, unless, King Nebuchadnezzar, unless you do this, unless you renounce your sin, unless you do what is right, unless your wickedness, unless your wickedness turns into kindness to the oppressed. If you do those things, you say that God is the God of all gods. He is the king of all kings. Unless you do that, he will turn you into an animal. So for about a year, King Nebuchadnezzar is doing, doing all right. He's like, this is cool. This God is awesome. He's, he's a pretty cool God. I, I love him. I, I think I'm going to worship him. But a year goes by and King Nebuchadnezzar is up on his, he's, he's in his castle. I mean, picture him in his castle and he's looking over his kingdom. And in that moment... In that moment, he gets the idea that this is all about him. You know what? Look at all this majesty that I built. Look at this majestic land that I built. Look at this kingdom that I put together, King Nebuchadnezzar. It's all about me. It's all about my kingdom. All of these people would have nothing if it wasn't for me. And his kingdom was taken away. In fact, the Bible says he was driven away from the people. He ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with dew until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails were like claws of a bird. He did that for seven seasons, the Bible says. For seven years, for seven years, he's in, he's in the wilderness and he's like an animal. And finally, he gets to that point and he says, God, I'm sorry. God, It's not about me. It's about you. And guess what? God gives him his kingdom back. So if we look at satisfying with supremacy, like like Howard Hughes tried to do, like King Nebuchadnezzar tried to do, the caution would be satisfying with supremacy equals a humbling. We will be humbled. I remember... When I was in high school, the Seattle Seahawks, I'm sorry to use that name in here again, um, they, drafted, they, they drafted a guy named Brian Bosworth. You guys remember the Boz? Right, Brian Bosworth. Now, I, I was a high school kid, right? And so I was like, man, I had my hair cut just like that. My mom would let me put blonde in it, but that's okay. I, I forgave her. I had, my, I had it colored on the side. I had my eyebrows because it was vanilla ice time. It was like ice, ice. Babe. It was the boss and ice. It was like, yes, life does not get any better than that. Whatever happened to vanilla ice, by the way? No, you can tell me after service. But here's the boss, and, and we wanted to be just like the boss. I mean, the boss was cool. He was a Seahawk, even though he, everybody knew he didn't want to be. And here's the boss and all of his glory. In fact, he was so smart that the Denver Broncos were the Seahawks' rival at that, in that time, not the Niners, okay? Because the, the, we could never beat the Niners back in the day. But the Broncos, for some reason, we had the Broncos' number. And they were called the Orange Crush. Remember that? They used to call the Broncos the Orange Crush. And so, so the, the, there were the T-shirts made that said, Orange Crush the Seahawks. Brian Bosworth, 
his company was the one that made them, and they sold tens of thousands of those to all the Broncos fans. And Brian Bosworth is on the sideline injured, laughing all the way to the bank because he made hundreds of thousands of dollars on a T-shirt deal that he sold to the Broncos. Crazy stuff. But Brian Bosworth was trying to, he was trying to be the king of football. He was the best linebacker that, that some say that ever has played the college game. And here he is at the top of the peak, at the top of the pinnacle, and he's getting his life taken down because he made some stupid decisions. He got injured, and now all of a sudden his football career, after two years, an $11 million contract was over. Brian Bosworth has been humbled. It's my understanding now that Brian Bosworth is a follower of Jesus, which is the cool side of that story. But the Bible says in James, who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show let them show it by their good life, deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Who is wise and understanding the good life we lead? It should all come in humility. See, we should be humble when we have success. We should be excited that God gave us the opportunity to do more for his kingdom when we have great success. I love it when players get up there and they give glory to God and they mean it. We should give all of that to God in, in humility. See, the world says to satisfy with supremacy, but James said right here, the brother of Jesus, satisfy with humility equals good life, equals a good life of serving. Satisfying with humility equals a good life of serving. A few years ago, my, uh, my daughter Scarlett, who's right here, and I went to Chile South America. And we had a great time on this missions trip. We went down there because we were going to serve this fishing village that got wiped out by a tsunami in 2010. There were, the whole thing was wiped out. It was crazy. It was, it was uh, one of those things where you walk in, you, you walk into the town and we, we kind of drove in, but you, you get to the town and you're like, there's all this destruction. And we were able to build a house in seven days for a family. And this family consisted of an old guy, an old man, the dad, his, and his two daughters. And the house was, was 600 square feet. But the thing that impressed me the most wasn't that we got a house done in, in seven days. Wasn't that, that we, we, that we did all this great work for, for God and the, you know, it, what impressed me was the humility of the people towards us. See, we went to serve them, but they served us. We went to love on them, but they loved on us. We went to give to them, but they gave to us. See, I went down there thinking that, oh, I'm going to do all this noble work. And then when I get there, they won't, they won't take anything from me. All they would do was give. And I remember the day we got the house finished and, and, uh, the plumbers were going to be coming in to finish the plumbing and the electrical. And we brought the family down from their, from their shack that they were living in. Literally, they had a blue tarp held up by poles. They had an outhouse that, that was over, literally overflowing and then, and then they had, they had this, this, um, propane tank, this little tiny, like, barbecue tank with a, with a, a little burner, and that was what they cooked on. And that was their life. And we went up and picked them up, cause the guy was on a, had a walker, and he gets to the edge of the house, and we didn't have the steps and the ramp finished, so we had to lift him up onto the front porch. And the entire time we're lifting him onto the front porch, there's, there's tears just streaming down his eyes and all he can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
And we're just like, wow. And his daughters are there and they're crying. I mean, it was just a blubbering mess. We were all crying. He's crying, you're crying, we're all crying. It's crazy, no tissues, our sleeves were all wet. It was nasty. But the humility of those wonderful people taught me a life lesson that I need to be thankful for every ounce of anything that I have because it could all be taken away like that. They lost everything, but yet they gave everything. The house cost $5,000 to build, 5000 for a 600-square-foot home. Today, the average credit card debt in this country is over 15000 The average student loan is over 30000 The average car loan is over $30,000 per household in this country, $75,000 of debt. And my friends in Chile, they still have about 75 homes to build almost five years later from when the tsunami hit. But why, why do we have all this debt? To drive a nicer car, to have a bigger TV, to have a bigger house, to get the latest iPhone. Why do we have all this debt? So we can fill our lives with more stuff and more status. Because the world says we saturate ourselves with stuff, we saturate ourselves with more gimmicks, we really saturate ourselves with status. A guy told me one time, the definition of status is when you buy things you can't afford to impress people that you really don't even like. Is it wrong to buy nice things? No. I love buying nice things. In fact, a true fact is the TVs that Walmart sold this year, um, they were made by the manufacturer at a lesser quality so they could sell them at a lesser price so they would go out in two years so you'd buy new ones in two years or less. Did you guys know that? I heard it on the radio yesterday. Like, really? That, no wonder my TV stinks. I bought it two years ago on Black Friday. Gosh. But Jesus tells us, he, he warns us about this. He warns us of this trap we've fallen. He says, in, um, it, well, it's actually Paul, but he says in First Timothy, he says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and in too many and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's the trap we fall into. Now, is money evil? Money is completely neutral, right? Money, you know, money is, money is just neutral. Money can buy food to feed people or it can buy guns to, to have, for war. Money doesn't matter. It's our heart is what Paul is saying. Our heart is what matters. See, I think more, I think wealthy people should, I think wealthy people should become wealthier if they're followers of Jesus. Because imagine what we could do, how many homes we could build in Chile. How many people could be helped to get off the street right here in our own backyard. Money isn't evil. It's our heart behind it. The caution would be saturating with status equals compromise. That's really what Paul is saying there. We chase after everything else but Jesus. And so we're willing to compromise to get everything else but Jesus. We just compromise. 
We're willing to say yes when we should say no. We're willing to say go when we should say stop. We compromise. What I love is what Paul said right before he talks about compromise. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. It's great gain. Contentment, godly contentment is great gain. We should be happy with what we have. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with setting goals and trying to have more. There's nothing wrong with that. We should do that as Christians. But what good is it to gain the whole world, to have everything but lose our soul? What good is it? So if we look at Paul, saturating with godly contentment equals great gain. Saturating with godly contentment is great gain. What does that look like? Now this is where we get a little awkward in church today. And I'm looking again. I've taken the glare off. Okay, hold on here. Everybody look to the person to your left and look to the person to your right. Now it's awkward because everybody's like, oh, let's stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. No, I'm kidding. Now look at the person behind you and look to the look at the person in front of you. And that's what great gain looks like. Do you know the person sitting next to you probably didn't know Jesus a week ago, a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, whenever it was. At some point in their life, they did not know Jesus and now they're here today. There's somebody sitting next to you that might not know Jesus right now, but they're here today. The great gain is us. The great gain is you. The joy set before him, it says in Hebrews, the joy set before him so that he would endure the cross is us. We're the joy. This is the great gain. Because what good is it to have a new car and a new TV and a bigger house and a better boat if the person sitting next to us is going to hell? What good is it if the person sitting next to us has lost everything and needs us to step in and help, but we don't know it? You know, the early church had it figured out. The great gain was all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property, they sold their possessions, and they gave to anyone who had a need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together daily. They prayed together. They had glad and sincere hearts. And the Lord added to their numbers every single day those that were being saved. Wouldn't it be great if every week we had 20, 30, 40, 50 people just being saved, just like, I want to accept Jesus. Why? Because my, the person next to me was so contagious with Jesus that I couldn't help but want to figure out, well, this, I need to have what they have. Because see, we buy a TV so that everybody, look at my TV. Look at this 55, 65, 75-incher. Look at it. How'd you get in your house? We had to take the side of the house off. That's how we got it in. See, I think we're so worried about what everybody else is going to think, we forget that that person needs to hear the good news of Jesus. And 
you and I are the ones that need to share it with them. It's a scary prayer to pray, but I pray it every day, and I really do pray it every day. I pray that God would put somebody in front of me that I need to witness to. I pray it every day when I wake up. It's my first prayer. Lord, today's a great day. I pray that you put somebody in front of me that I need to witness to. Now, some days he doesn't, but there are a lot of days he does. I mean, there's some folks here today that he put right in front of me outside of these doors one day when I was trying to lock up and get out of here. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. They're followers of Jesus. They were followers of Jesus. They're just looking for a church. He put them in front of me. I'm like, thank you for answering my prayer today. But the community that we have right here is the gain. This is what we should strive for. This is what we should be a part of. This is great joy. We need to find a community of friends right here at Bay Hills. We're so busy trying to impress everybody out. Well, what about us right here? We should be friends. You guys should be hanging out together. We should all be breaking bread together daily. We should be having pizza together. We should be doing those awkward moments of, of uh, you know, going and Christmas caroling for CIA a couple weeks, right? Oh, dude, you can't sing. Well, neither can you. Well, you want to grab a coffee after we're done? <laughs> sure, let's do it, you know? Because you hear them singing, you're like, oh, gosh, he's actually here. Yeah, who cares? They can't hear anyway, right? But serve. Serving is a great way to find a friend. Serve in a ministry here at Bay Hills. So those of you that are freaking out about the blanks, find a community of friends here at Bay Hills. Serve in a ministry here at Bay Hills. But most importantly, seek first God. Seek first God and the hunger and thirst for righteousness will never subside. But I want to I want to talk just a little bit about the serving thing. Because I think so often we, we sit around as a staff and we, we we talk about why how we can get people involved and why people aren't getting involved or how we can and one of the biggest things we come back to is just flat out giving you guys the opportunity to get involved. You don't know how. You're thinking it's some complicated thing. We have a 14-page application. Well, that's if you're working with children under the age of 18. Yes, we do have a long application. We want to make sure that you, um, you know, can work with children, uh, you know, legally. Um, and so what we did today is we put a really ugly green card in each one of your programs. And I need everybody to pull that ugly green card out right now. This is the second awkward moment we're going to have in church today. This green card. Everybody pull this out. I don't see everybody pulling out. Believe me, I can see you guys. I'm not pulling that out. He's going to make me fill it out. Yes, I am. Okay, and you're going you're gonna to go, nope, I'm not going to fill it out. I'm going to take my Bible and stick it right in there. It's going to be a good bookmark for me. See? That's why you made it green and ugly, so you don't like it and you turn it in. You don't want it. But on this card, on this card, we have several things for you to be able to check off. Children's youth, worship, CIA. I want to point out really, really uh, strongly right now our usher team. All the people that are actually serving you right now that are looking to see if you need one of these cards. If you need one, raise your hand. They'll give you one. Our ushers every week, they're, they're pulling you guys. They're like, oh, the guy, see the guy in the back row? Yeah, he smiles. So grab him. He's going to be an usher today. And they just grab you. Our ushers need help. We got 15, 20 people. We need every service just to serve as ushers. 
And every week they're like scrambling, trying to find more. So if you go, oh, I need to be an usher, you check that usher box. Guess what? You don't have to get up here and speak. You don't have to even be super nice to people unless you see him writing a, I'll say this for Pastor Dave, see him writing a big check. You can be really nice to him. Okay. Oh, hi. Good to see you. Thanks for coming to Bay Hills. You're new. <laughs> but check one of these boxes off. Children's, youth. See there, you can, you can even copy mine. Youth and tech. You don't put Howard Mandel down there. That's my name. I took that. Okay. Put, you know, your phone number, your email address, or if you don't have a phone number or an email address, you know, put your, I don't know, put how we can throw a bottle in the, in the river and see if it gets to you sometime. I don't know. But, but seriously, put this down. And this is the awkward moment. We're going to take 30 seconds right now, 30 quiet, awkward, weird moments as these pe- things are shown. And we're going to, you're going to fill this out and then you're going to hand it to the outs, the guy on the outside or the gal on the outside of your aisle, or your row. And you're going to hand it to them and the ushers are going to come back forward and they're going to collect them. So we're going to have 30 seconds to do this right now, starting now. And no, I'm not going to play Jeopardy music either. I know you're thinking that. Like, where's the Jeopardy music going to start? It's not. You're just doing it. Okay, 10 seconds. Okay, pass them to the outside. Pass those to the outside. The ushers are going to come forward. Last service, we got like 120 of them. Okay, so uh, ushers come back forward and collect. Come back forward and collect. So as the ushers are collecting these, guys, I want to encourage you to find a community right here at Bay Hills that you can get involved with all these projects, the women's thing, the CIA, all of these things. These are communities within our church that you can be involved with. Serve in a ministry. But most importantly, seek first God and the hunger and thirst for His righteousness will never subside. It doesn't go away. Why don't you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer and dismiss you guys. Father, um, we are so thankful for this time of year where we can, we can celebrate. We can celebrate your son Jesus and his birth. And Lord, um, as we get distracted though, we, we take away from the real purpose, the real message behind not holidays but the but holy days and lord i pray that you would give us all a heart this time of year to not to not just think of the stuff we can buy to fill ourselves up but the person next to us the person behind us the person in front of us that may need to know you that may need a little compassion this time of year, that may need a hand up. And Lord, as we leave today, I ask you just to continue to bless the ministries here at Bay Hills and the work that you have us doing for your kingdom right here in the East Bay. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.